Luckily, I was introduced uh, to the upcoming podcast guest via an email. Actually, I was asking previous podcast guests about their favorite books or media from the previous year, and I got a recommendation to check out Tiago Forte's uh, blog, which you can check out more of at praxis.fortelabs.co. And immediately uh, dove into that and got really sucked into his articles about progressive summarization, which we talk about uh, a little bit during the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Um, This is someone I was really looking forward uh, to interviewing and sharing uh, his thoughts about how he goes about productivity and so many other things because I've found uh, that his insights and digital organization especially have been really helpful for myself and I think that it can do the same for you. So uh, without any further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real World Productivity Podcast. I'm Adam Moody, and today I'm talking with Tiago Forte, author, speaker, teacher, and productivity expert, about his background and experiences uh, so that we can get a deeper look into his approaches to problems and the solutions that have surfaced as a result. Uh, just full disclosure, I'm a fan of Tiago's content. Uh, I came across just earlier this year as a result of asking previous podcast guests what their favorite book, article, or media from the previous year was. And Simon Lau, the product manager of Otter AI, sent me back a link to Tiago's first article on progressive summarization, and I was hooked from there. So we're definitely going to be touching on that uh, topic and several more. So with that, I think we'll just get into it. So welcome, Tiago. Thanks, Adam. Really good to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, I think the best way to start these is just to get everyone on the same page. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, so we can all kind of be on the same page as far as who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) Um, So I have an education uh, company, online education company called Forte Labs. And uh, we just do different kinds of education. We have online courses, eBooks, blog posts, as you saw. We also do uh, live training events, workshops, really every kind of media, you know, videos, YouTube videos, every kind of medium focused on productivity training. Um, I really believe that this new economy we find ourselves in requires really rapid, really lifelong learning. And yet no one really teaches us how to do that. And it's, it's difficult to find really high quality uh, training, not in, you know, your specific profession, how to be a lawyer, how to be whatever, but in the general, like general knowledge work, like the, sometimes they're called the, the meta skills or the life skills that you need to just be a knowledge worker in the modern economy. So that's that's what I've been up to the past six or seven years. Gotcha. Okay. And that makes sense because then, and I totally agree with you, that if you ask someone if they've had formal training or education, and, and I'm using my air quotes and nobody else can see, and productivity, um, you know, then the answer is generally no, because there is no no formalized specific training out there, or rather there isn't yet, I guess. Um, so how did you kind of come into this and say, this is, you know, something that needs to be done? You know, I first started thinking about it in the Peace Corps. Uh, I served in Eastern Ukraine for a couple years uh, out of college. And I would teach these, uh, you know, my normal English classes was kind of my, my, my normal job. Um, but then on the weekends and after school programs and summer camps and weekend camps, uh, I started teaching just what, what we would consider like really, really basic kind of self-organization skills. So like how to keep a to-do list, how to keep an agenda, how to manage a calendar. Um, I would teach these things to these kids, uh, teenagers in Ukrainian schools, um, and just saw the tr- just tremendous impact it had. I just got a message on Instagram yesterday from one of my former students. This is now seven or eight or nine years later. And she just said, I use the methods you taught me every single day. 
And I was just like, oh my gosh, like that was amazing. But then <clears throat> I came back to the U.S. to kind of start my official career. There's the air quotes again, official <laughs> career. <laughs> um, and it was the same thing. Like I entered this, this really kind of uh, elite consulting firm, this boutique consulting firm in San Francisco. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to work with the best, some of the smartest people anywhere. They're really going to train me like how to really manage knowledge and how to learn and how to organize, you know, my projects. No. Like if you've ever, you know, been in a consulting firm, they throw you into the deep end day one and you learn by doing, which is great. I mean, that's, that's the great thing about the workplace, but at the same time, there is education necessary. You know, it's, it's, you can't just, but what most people do I found is they look to their right, they look to their left and they just do what their colleagues are doing. And if you have really good, you know, bosses and mentors and managers, you, you rise, you benefit, but that's not the default. And <laughs> end up picking bad habits from the start. Gotcha. Uh, well, that's interesting too. And it, it kind of ties into something we talked about before we started recording. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit about like, we're going to back up a little bit, but what's your normal routine like? You know, we all, or at least I hear a lot about routines. We talk about the importance of them. Um, but is there stuff you specifically do or you try to do on a daily basis um, as kind of like the foundation of what you do to keep yourself kind of productive or on a good, good path? You know, <clears throat> it's an interesting question because we're such in this habits and routines era um, that that has almost become synonymous with productivity and with effectiveness. But in some ways, I'm kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where my work is really about giving people tools and skills to adapt, like to adapt quickly and effectively to different kinds of work, different kinds of projects, different kinds of environments. It's like helping people really be agile and responsive and adaptable to any situation. So in a way, that's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like I live in this world of, of kind of quickly changing conditions and how do you deal with that? Um, so I don't have, I don't, I'm really not that structured. You know, I have a few, I'd say Keystone Habits. I definitely read James Clear's book, followed his work. Uh, I actually teach a course on habits, funny enough, um, from some years ago, but you know, waking up at the same time, going to sleep at the same time is huge. Um, workout in, in the mornings, four weekdays per week. It's a nice thing about living in Mexico is you can afford, I can afford a, per, a personal trainer, which in San Francisco where I live pretty <laughs> a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> um, and besides that, I mean, I have a late lunch, which is kind of the Mexican tradition, more like 2 p.m. Um, try to unwind in the evenings with my wife, just maybe watching TV or meditating or reading or talking. So really nothing that extraordinary. Uh, but I do tend to have a lot of variation between weeks and between months. Like, you know, last month I was traveling two or three weeks uh, continuously and trying to stay productive on the road. Um, I'm very project-based. So depending on the mix of projects, I, I have one of these posters next to me showing my, my kind of portfolio of current projects. Um, I find that my my life really looks different depending on what I'm working on. And I like that. I really like that novelty. Definitely. Yeah, uh, and this is interesting, and I'm going to go into dangerous territory here and try to kind of extrapolate on my own thoughts uh, while I'm uh, talking and we're recording. But I'm kind of wondering, too, and I'm thinking clearly based on my own kind of biases and my own experience, is that like when I started looking at this and I thought, you know, hey, I realized there's a need for me to be more productive, um, you know, years ago and like, what can I do? How can I do this? That 
forming those routines and habits was probably one of the more important things I did at the beginning. But then over time, moving in and saying, okay, that's great. I've got that. And that's certainly nothing I've discarded. But that helped form that foundation. And then looking at, okay, now I need to look at impact and results. That's what I need to do. Does, is that what, would you agree with that as far as kind of a progression of how you, how someone might go through this stuff? Totally. Yeah, I have this model called the digital productivity pyramid, <clears throat> which is basically, it's like a, just a pyramid with four levels. And it's kind of my model for how I've seen people advance in their learning. And it's, it's similar, uh, one way, so I use different labels, but one way of looking at it is like, you need efficiency first. Until you can just do things pretty efficiently, then you, you, everything else is gonna, not gonna work. But then you go to productivity and you think, okay, well, it's not just doing things fast, it's like doing them kind of more productively. It's producing some sort of result. And then you go to effectiveness, building on that, which is like, oh, well, I can actually not just do more, produce more, but do more with less and have leverage and really like look for those, um, those leverage points. But then there's like impact, which is even like above effectiveness, which is like, wow, of all the million things I could be effective at in this world, what really is, is calling? What's my calling for my skills and my knowledge and my, my purpose? Um, but what I think people miss is you have to build those levels one at a time. If you're trying to do impact, but you can't even like check your email and clear your email inbox in a, an efficient way, you're, you're going to get bogged down and no one's going to believe that you could pull that off. Definitely. And uh, yeah, this is going to kind of bring together two thoughts I have in the next question as well. But I think that's too where maybe people start to feel overwhelmed, even though they feel like they're maybe on a path towards being more productive, whatever that may mean to them, is that they're trying to take on these things where it's like, oh, I want to have impact. I want to have all of this. But like you said, yeah, but they feel overwhelmed because they can't even keep track of their emails or they're late to meetings or things like that. So yeah, that definitely makes sense. I hadn't seen what you're talking about there, the pyramid. I'll, I'll definitely have to go and check that out. Or maybe if it's on the blog, I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes. Yeah. And, and really, this is, this is how I started. It's just like, one of my first articles that did well is called One Touch to Inbox Zero. It's kind of just like a, a modern updated version of Inbox Zero. And I just, I just, because, because I, you know, very early on, I realized unless you master your email, you're doomed. Like, honestly, you know, email is the fundamental basis of modern work, like, like it or not. And so I, I really did all this research and tried all these things and published that article. But then once you master each level, you kind of go, what next? This like space opens up in your mind that used to be occupied with that inefficiency. <laughs> um, and then you're able to rise kind of through the ranks, which I, I love. Definitely. Yeah, that's reminding me. I'll have to look it up. I, are you familiar? You know, uh, Sebastian Marshall? It seems yeah. like someone you would probably actually maybe have met or know, probably. Yeah, we've talked a bunch, and we, we hung out in Toronto after a, after a conference recently, so definitely know him well. Yeah, it reminds me, and I, I just lost the quote while thinking of it, but anyways, uh, I'll include something in the show notes so the listeners don't just think I'm thinking of some random names here, but yeah, that just reminded me of a, a it was a podcast he had, and it escapes me now, so I'll, I'll cut this short, but uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting one, and I'll send it to you as well, so um, something else that uh, tied in earlier with the thought was I had read, and I can't recall if this was on your blog or not, but you talked about working directly with people. And you said one of the problems um, people face when they say, you know, I'm overwhelmed or I, I, I'm not productive is just that they, it's like a mental state of like, I'm not productive because clearly they're productive in some sense, right? They're getting things done. Nobody's just sitting there, you know, staring at the wall for 24 hours a day. Um, did, did I get that right? Or is it that, you know, that a lot of people just have a kind of a mental 
shift they need to make in order to kind of get on this path towards better productivity? Uh, or is that just like one side of kind of a multifaceted thing? Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's a, there's a series of mindset shifts. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm more and more, I'm thinking of my work in that way, not as like equipping you with a particular tool or training you in a skill, although that is important. Um, but really provoking a series of mindset shifts. And um, I think that's the one you're referring to is kind of one of the earlier ones. It's like, there, there's sort of this awakening that has to happen where people have an awakening, kind of the one you kind of referenced it um, indirectly a minute ago, like, I am ineffective. <laughs> Until like, you have to get to the source of your ineffectiveness. You have to just have that. It's like this little flash of self-awareness. Sometimes I see it happen in real time. It's pretty cool. When people just realize there is, there is a lot of potential out there. I have a lot of potential and I'm not reaching it. Hmm. And it's not anyone else's fault. It's not the fault of my environment. It's not the fault of my tools. It's just that I have something to learn. And that, that is the, the awakening that I look for before you know, I, I set them I, I put them on a path as best I can towards um, those many levels that we just referred to. There's, unless you have that basic self-awareness, all this occurs is just like, why would I ever want to take a productivity course? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, uh, I think you've put it in a way of, I've heard people saying that, you know, just like that sounds like the worst thing ever. Um, but th that's good. I think this ties in as well, you know, with how I'm curious how you do this and as well as what you see. Um, I think you're, you're at the point clearly where you, like you said, you realize you've got this potential and, you know, you want to reach these higher levels. You want to have impact. You want to do these things. And that clearly means that you need to be uh, receptive to, okay, I need to understand if there's a better way to do things or how can I focus? How can I do this or that? So with like an abundance of great tools out there or even ways to manage kind of your ideas, your information, um, how do you deal with for example, maybe Notion, you're looking at that and how does this help me as a tool without kind of getting that shiny object syndrome and going down a rabbit hole and realizing you spent two years just playing around with tools? Totally. Oh, this is my favorite soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, is a, there is a tool mania out there. It really drives me crazy. People really have, like, like you said, shiny object syndrome. And it is so problematic because it's like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci revolutionized multiple fields and, 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 you know, domains of art using like, I don't think it was even paper. It was like vellum or something, yeah. uh, notebooks. If he can do that, you know, like the, 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 the idea, the assumption that it's your tools that are going to somehow be the thing that unleashes your creative potential is just absurd. It's totally absurd. And at least people in the cycle that you just, you just kind of reference is like, Every time they're about, about, quote unquote, about to get started, yeah. then their tool is outdated or there's a new one or, oh, but that one is even better. And then they spend all this time migrating and switching and learning and then they start to settle down. But it's like they're really addicted to the cycle, to the hope of jumping ship and thinking this new thing is going to save them. Um, whereas I, I feel like I never switch tools. I've been using the same task manager. It's called Things since the very beginning, never felt the slightest temptation to switch, uh, using Evernote since the beginning, using, I, I can't think of an app that I've switched since the first ones that I adopted. There's no, there's no reason to it. Now I've changed the methods all the time. 
that's the layer you want to optimize is like the methods, the approach, the system, uh, the habits also. But the tool, I mean, really most tools are very similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I always think of it too, in terms of kind of the opportunity, maybe opportunity cost, but something can't be 1% better, 5% better. Even with this now, I think this has got such a high cost. It can't be 10% better, which would cause a lot of people and other products to switch. It's got to be a massive upgrade because the amount of work and you know that's going to go into it whether it's something like switching a database or migrating although that's becoming easier now with technology but yeah look at that and it's just like oh man this is such a problem like well should i use this app is this going to make me productive like i don't know maybe like yeah, I, but no probably not <laughs> oh man if you're asking that question no <laughs> yeah. uh, but I will ask this because if people are curious and this is a little bit of like productivity porn kind of idea, like what, what is your stack? Like, what do you use? Uh, you've already talked about um, Evernote and things. Um, is there other stuff that you use on a, on a, I guess, regular basis? I do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a post if people are interested. Uh, it's the part two to an article called full stack freelancer, mm -hmm. uh, which is actually one of my, one of my, um, the top few most popular articles. It's kind of my vision for how I think the future of work is going to be. But anyway, um, I have like a graphic that actually shows a stack where like I have all the apps and then I, I break down how much they cost per year, why I use them, and then sum the total of the costs and all those things. But um, let's see, Evernote and things are definitely the core pillars along with BusyCal, which I use on the Mac and iOS for my calendar. Uh, it's nothing really out of the ordinary. It's just a calendar client that syncs with Google Cal. Um, I also use, let's see here, in terms of product, oh, Superhuman is the new, the new email client um, that's been out in the press a lot. Uh, it's an email client that just really optimizes for extreme speed and efficiency. Uh, it's, you have to pay for it, which a lot of people don't like, but email is just such a dominant part of most people's lives. The average knowledge worker spends 27% of their time on email, you know, quarter of their time. Wow. Uh, what else? Starting to experiment with Notion. Um, let's see. And then just other smaller things like for time tracking. I use Hours Tracker, which is a, an app on my phone. Uh, Loom is one I'm excited about. It's like a really quick, like a quick and easy screen recording uh, app. Huge, huge fan of that. Highly recommend it as well. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Zoom is absolutely crucial. I'm on multiple Zoom calls every day. Um, so yeah, kind of nothing that, I think people always expect these like, oh yes, I have a Ferrari of a productivity app that no one knows No about. one else has access to it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that's cool. You mentioned uh, knowledge workers, and uh, from what I've seen, you're you primarily focus on on as I understand it. So I may be incorrect here, but you primarily focus on that. Um, have you heard from other people, you know, outside of other industries? Or uh, this question may be kind of mo moving forward because more and more people, this becomes what they're doing moving forward is knowledge work of some sort, and everyone needs to maintain that. But I guess have you heard of people using your methods outside of what we would traditionally call knowledge workers. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because it's more like, no, I haven't, but the, the boundaries of knowledge work is just totally all encompassing. Yeah. As I started asking that, that's where I was like, you know, I can't give you a concrete example. I was like, as time goes on, it's just going to be more and more. So 
yeah, we can either talk about that or just skip over it. I realized as I'm saying it, I was like, yeah, this is kind of weird. I can't think of a good example. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that that even uh, what we would consider some, you know, manual or service jobs, the ones that aren't being taken over by robots, uh, have a huge knowledge component. My my brother is a like a construction superintendent. You would think, okay, not a knowledge worker, but he works for like a prefab modular home building company where they build these like basically like containers, mm-hmm. shipping container style, and then they just assemble it. They, they actually build them in a factory. It's just like any other product. And then in a, a couple of weeks, everything arrives all at once on site and they, they put it together. Um, and so you think, oh, they've automated, they've automated construction. It's no longer going there in like a one, two by four at a time. Yeah. But that just means his job gets elevated to a new level where now he's, because each job only takes a few weeks, he has to manage many jobs all of which have their own contractors and their own site details and their own local laws and regulations. So even construction, maybe the quintessential you know, manual job is now a knowledge job. And actually we, we, we always compare notes. Like he's, he actually like has some more sophisticated things that I, than I do because he has like more on the ground projects. Um, you know, so he's super into digital organization as well. And we, we kind of compare notes. <laughs> ah, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Uh, and, you know, you've talked about being in different countries as well. So obviously you're in Mexico City. Uh, you said you've been in the Peace Corps um, and you've, um, you know, you said you'd help them out with productivity. You still hear about them. Have you gotten anything from your travels um, where you're like, man, you know, a lot of people and obviously my experience is mostly based in North America. Is there things you look at, like when you come to San Francisco and you're like, you know, these ideas I got from these other cultures, these other countries really apply here. Anything like that? Oh yeah, big time, <clears throat> big time. Other cultures are some, some of my, my biggest sources of inspiration. Um, my mom is Brazilian uh, and we have spent a fair portion of my life in Brazil. And one of my, so I, ha- I have a series on this on my blog, it's called Just-In-Time Project Management mm-hmm. or Just-In-Time Productivity. And that term Just-In-Time comes from Japan and and Toyota and all that, but where, where I really saw, and I'm basically getting those principles from that, that Toyota developed for manufacturing, and in this series, I'm applying it to modern knowledge work, but where I really um, got the inspiration for that was in Brazil, uh, where everyone does everything at the last minute, <laughs> <laughs> or even well past the last minute. It's like, you know, oh, there's a party. Let's a couple of days before we'll figure it out. Oh, we're like taking a trip. Like just everything is done right before it's needed, which it makes total sense there, right? Because everything is so unreliable. Bus schedules are unreliable. Other people are unreliable. Schedules are unreliable. So making a plan way in advance is just pointless. Um, but what I saw there is it actually really works. Mm-hmm. That that you know doing things at the last minute, other things being equal. Uh, is actually kind of a, a cool way to live and work. The reason we have to plan so in advance is because of like, like this, these bureaucratic organizations that we're part of, where it has to go through all these approval levels and all these different departments and all these things. So I, I wrote this series to kind of advocate for just-in-time working, um, you know, applying to, to knowledge work, and that was definitely inspired by Brazil. Um, but I see, I really like to spend time abroad and to travel both short-term and long-term because it's such a good forcing function. You know, when you are traveling, you don't have, you know, eight continuous hours in the day to work. You often have pockets. Mm-hmm. 
or just an hour here, hour there. So you have to be really intentional about, okay, I'm going to sit down. I have 90 minutes. I'm not going to spend the first 45 just perusing my email and then be like, oh, there's only 45 minutes left. Can't do anything. Yeah. I'm going to sit down with a purpose. Um, and then also you just have less time, which forces you to be more kind of impactful. Um, and also, what was I going to say? Oh, you don't have these external structures. Like you can't just like spread papers or whatever all over your desk, all over your office, all over your home. You have to be more intentional, intentional about saving those on a computer. And that was kind of the traveling was a big inspiration for my, my main focus these days, which is an online course called building a second brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically how to manage your ideas and how to manage your knowledge using software. Um, and that was largely inspired by spending multiple years on the road where I, I, I had to have it in software. It was the only option. <laughs> That's cool. Okay. So I didn't know about that. I knew about the course. And I, I, uh, if you don't mind taking a minute, kind of telling everybody a little bit more about what that is before we kind of talk more about the background on this. Sure. Yeah. It's, a, it's an online course. I've been running it about two and a half years. Uh, we just hit the thousand student milestone, which is very exciting. Uh, over a thousand students from more than 60 countries. And uh, you can take it either self-paced or as part of a live cohort, which we do about once a quarter, which I recommend. Um, but the idea is really, you know, the funny thing is we, we all already have a second brain, you know, unless you are memorizing every single <laughs> calendar, yeah. unless you are memorizing every email in your inbox, you, you, your mind, your thinking extends um, past your skull and into computers and notepads and posters and all these things. So it's not a question, you know, people go, oh, should I build a second brain or shouldn't I? And I go, no, for the past 10,000 years, Homo sapiens has had these external thinking tools. The question is, are you going to do it intentionally? Are you going to do it strategically? Are you going to make it an asset and in, in, in a, in a capability that you can use rather than kind of this accidental thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so the main, it's actually this poster right behind me, but the main steps are to capture it. So you have to save it, you know, whether um, writing down some text or taking a photo or a web page or whatever. Um, and I, the, the category of software that I use that I recommend for this is note-taking apps. So I use Evernote, but equally viable is Microsoft OneNote, Google Keep, Apple Notes, uh, Bear, Notion. There's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, so capture, then you need, to, you need to organize it. So we, I show you how to structure it. Uh, in a way that you can actually find it when you need it, which is the big the big challenge. Yeah. Um, and then I show you how to distill it. So turn these this knowledge into these little packets, these little you know easily usable packets of knowledge. Um, and then how to express it, how to turn it into writing, into speaking, into analysis, into uh, all sorts of different um, you know productive output. Uh, and that's that's the course. Cool. Yeah. What I like, uh, you definitely wrote this somewhere. I can't recall exactly, but you know, you'd said we have this amazing capability, which is also a huge problem right now, which is, you know, we've got computers, we've got hard drives, we have the ability to save anything we want to, but the organization and the ability to even recall that information as needed or when needed is really lacking. Uh, And so that's uh, definitely what I find to be of interest about what you're doing. Um, and just full disclosure, I have whoever's listening, I haven't gone through the course, but it's on my to-do list of like, okay, as the time presents itself and I feel like it's going to provide that jump for me, then that's something I want to do because I see that becoming more and more important as you move forward. I want to have this capability 
to grab what I want when I, I need it. And as uh, time goes on, I just get more and more and more information. So yeah, I, I definitely see that as being a powerful course for anyone who's in that same sort of situation. Totally. That's, that's the use case. It's, you know, the, the person who has 30 tabs open on their browser and they can't close them because they're all quote unquote important stuff. Um, but that's, you know, the browser was not made to manage ideas. It was not made to manage knowledge. It was made to just access it. Uh, and I think you're right. It's like our, our ability to capture things has overwhelmed our ability to organize and retrieve them. Um, and that's, that's something tools can't provide. You yep. know, you open up any of these tools and they go, what do you want to do? And you're like, what should I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that uh, leads me into the progressive summarization idea, which um, having not gone through the course, but I assume that's kind of a part of building the second brain and how you deal with this information, um, or, or maybe not. It is. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's part of the distill phase. So, so, you know, once you start capturing notes, you very quickly, anyone who's used note-taking apps, before they know it, they have hundreds of notes. And they're just like, well, how, like, I have no time to even review what I, I don't even remember what I have in here. And so distillation, you know, getting, say, your book notes, which can run into the thousands, I mean, just the, just the highlights, just the excerpts can easily run into the thousands of words. Like when in your workday, like even if it's a book that's super useful to something you're working on, when are you going to have time to go through and read those? Yes. So you have to distill these notes into these little bite-sized summaries so that you, uh, the, the analogy I use is putting a handle on a suitcase. If you have like a heavy suitcase of knowledge, but it has no handles, you're just like, oh, like you can't get it anywhere. But if it has this nice handle, you have a place to just pick it up and move it to where it needs to go. Yeah, and the other idea, one, I like that analogy. And uh, two, the thing I really liked about the way you described this was, you know, maybe you read a book that's great and you do want to keep those notes. But if you end up never needing that information again, you don't want to put 10 hours of annotation and summarization and all this crazy work in up front. You, you want to do that when you need it. Um, which really rang true with me and I would imagine with anybody who's uh, listening or lots of people out there, it's kind of, for me, that was a mind shift. Uh, I think I'd, you know, unconsciously thought of that. Of course, it makes sense when you say it out loud, but that was such a big one of like, yes, kind of just in time. I don't want to put in all the work up front. I need to do it as it becomes more and more important. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. You, you summarized it better than I, than I could have. <laughs> <laughs> so highly encourage anyone uh, listening to go check out the articles. Um, I, I, I'm going to mess up the URL real quick. Do you mind? What's the blog uh, URL? Uh, my blog is called Praxis, mm -hmm. which is just P-R-A-X-I-S dot Forte Labs, which is my website, F-O-R-T-E-L-A-B-S dot C-O. And I'm, I'm realizing I need to get a better URL because that's quite a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it works. If it, you know, I found it. I think other people will. But uh, yeah, maybe shorten it up a little bit. <laughs> Originally, it was just like one little corner of my website. It was like one little su subdomain. And at this point, it, it gets more visits than the whole rest of the website. So I think I need to <laughs> reverse those. <laughs> yeah, switch things around. Um, so we got time for one more or maybe two more areas and I'm just interested. I'm going to start broad here. Uh, we can narrow down if you want to. Um, how do you feel about the use of automation um, and productivity just in general? And then do you have anything that you recommend people uh, to use as far as either methods kind of starting high level, like one, are you a fan or do you believe, you know, people should be doing more intentional kind of ma manual sort of, you know, reviews or movement, things like that to stay on top of what's going on. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting question. Uh, 
I think automation can be overrated. Um, so, I mean, that example is great, like reviews, you know, you could somehow automate a review, like, oh, just pull my top five, you know, t completed tasks and then, and then move all, you know, read emails to the archive and do this or that and all these things. You could automate those easily. But to me, the, it's the very manualness of the review that gives it the value. It's like having to sit down and think and go through my current projects, go through my priorities and really think what is going on here? How is it going? Am I happy with it? Uh, do I want to change something? And there's like a pattern matching that your, your human brain can do, you know, when you're sitting down and just thinking, okay, why am I so resistant to this project? There's no automated way to detect that. You know, that has more to do with self-awareness and introspection and reflection. Uh, same thing with time tracking. Like I, for a few years, uh, I was, I still do it casually, but for a few years I was fanatical about it. Uh, and this is actually what I recommend. Like long-term, I don't think, I think that you do time tracking intensively for a period. You have that mindset shift, like we were talking about, of really getting how long things take, which people tend to have just no awareness of this. Um, uh, but I, I really wanted to do it manually, like having a little widget in my menu bar, tell me, you know, I get to the, I tried it. I'd get to the end of the week and be like, okay, I spent X out like, you know, four hours a day in my web browser. What does that tell me? That doesn't tell me anything, you yeah. know, whereas having this app on my phone, the, the one I use is hours tracker and manually clocking in and out, almost like the old punch cards that you used to have at work. I found not, not only give me much better data because I could be much more granular in what I was clocking into, um, but also it really helped with self-awareness, which I think is the ultimate goal because, you know, instead of doing the, the rapid switching, which people do, you know, like they'll spend a few minutes in five different, each of five different things, constantly switching back and forth. Um, you have to go, okay, now I'm stopping email, clocking out of email. I will not look at email anymore. Now I'm clocking into this. And it creates these very, these very sharp boundaries between the things you're focusing on, which promotes focus. Yeah, that's interesting too. I think um, I've taken the same route where I do it manually from time to time. I'll just feel like I need to get a better grip, like or I'm not sure where my time's going exactly. I need to do this again. So I'll do it for like two days and just pull out a piece of paper and break it down. And that's generally how I recommend other people to do it. And then I've recently started using the TimeUler. Uh, device which I really like and then just but doing it simply I just track like four to six areas and just kind of I don't need to know down to the minute I just want to know hey how am I working four hours a day or six hours like what's actually happening uh, and then if I need to I can kind of go deeper so yeah totally. that's interesting uh, and then this is also on my mind because I'm in the middle of reading uh, principles uh, by Ray Dal Dalio yeah, yeah. if I'm gonna miss, yeah. mess up his name I know it was published a couple years ago I had a ton of recommendations and finally got around to reading it. And it's this idea to me as well of having these maybe higher level algorithms that help you choose what to automate in a sense of like, um, just as an example, like you should be doing, I believe, and I'm pretty sure you do too, some sort of a review, whether it's project-based or maybe it's a, on a time period based. And you should never, uh, you know, at some point you don't want to assign that to an algorithm, but you need a way to get to that point to say, okay, how often should I do this? So I think coming up with those guiding principles maybe is a good idea I don't, do you feel like that yeah i think people tend to try to automate the things they should be they should be attending to and then they attend to things they should be automating <laughs> fair enough i i can agree and looking back and seeing what i'm i've done in my past i was like yeah there's that you know maybe at that instant gratification of like 
oh, well, I'll take care of, you know, something productive like uh, organizing my task list or, you know, yeah. updating uh, my email filters and then, you know, not working on the projects that are actually moving me towards my goals. So. Yeah, and it's, it's hard because sometimes we do, we do actually need almost mundane routine tasks. You know, if every minute you're only doing the most ambiguous, most challenging, most demanding work, you're going you're gonna to burn out. Um, but then you have to balance that where it's got to be like, it's got to be tasks that do have some value in you doing them. Um, and also being context dependent, like, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you sit down to work and you start with your easiest task, which is, you know, when I work with people, what I see they tend to do, they start with email and then they, they kind of have a meeting. And then by the time it's like, it's like, it's reverse. You should really spend your morning where you're sort of renewed and focused on the most challenging stuff. And then as the, your energy goes down over the course of the day, go to easier and easier things. People tend to do the opposite. They start with the easy stuff when they're highest energy, and then it's 2 p.m., 3 p.m., and they're like, wow, I could, I could really get this hard thing done, but I'll just wait till tomorrow. Yeah. And then something happens tomorrow. <laughs> Definitely. That was the biggest, uh, for me, boost of being able to uh, plan my own schedule uh, once I had uh, shifted towards consulting and starting a business. And it took a while, but saying, ah, right, like I knew I was a morning person on top of everything else, but making that shift and saying, I've got to stop having calls in the morning. And it's rare now that I'll I even do it, but I like doing podcast interviews. And obviously for this, I want to be fresh. I wouldn't want to do this, you know, late at night where I would just be, you know, kind of like, oh, hey, how's it going? So yeah, very much understand it. And I recommend to people, even with, if you have a job, letting people know, just saying, you know, hey, I tried to block this time out. If you can, please either leave me alone or, you know, trying to communicate that um, idea. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. It is, it's easy to see how you have this, this agency as a freelancer or self-employed. Mm -hmm. But um, I often push back on people saying like, oh, no, I work at a company, so I just have no options. Um, we live in this time where, like, companies want you to exercise your agency. And, and I, I constantly encourage people to make, just make requests. Can I work from home on Fridays? Can I work from home in the afternoons? Can I um, not, just something as simple as not attend that meeting. People come back to me and I'm like, and they're like, I just asked if I could not attend this meeting that is recurring every single week because I'm sort of marginal to it. And they said, oh yeah, no problem. They're like completely amazed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I was like, well, you, yeah, you won't get what you don't ask for. And um, I wouldn't advise people like quit your job, but I was like, if you're asking these normal things and there's no leeway, then, you know, maybe you should be looking long-term at uh, going somewhere else. And I, I bring this up because I think about the times we got to remember to communicate ourselves better and say, people can't read my mind. You know, if you're going to put on headphones, maybe you should just let people know, Hey, I'm not ignoring you or goofing off. I just want to have some time where I can really focus and I can block these out and I'll do it between, you know, nine and noon. I don't know. You know, I think most places now are more forgiving. It's not as big a deal, but just communicating that to people will go so much further instead of just kind of going off and doing your own thing. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think there, there's definitely some considerations. Like your manager or boss or whatever is going to look for evidence that you can self-manage. So if you're asking for all these freedoms, there has to be a corresponding increase in responsibility and integrity and follow-up and just diligence. Uh, otherwise, they're gonna they're gonna really right back in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that, that, I always think of it too in terms of sales, like uh, benefits. You know, like present the benefits. Don't just be like, I want. You know, like, hey, this is gonna result in you know me getting those important tasks done first thing in the morning, and then I'll be able to you know interface instead of being frazzled and you know at wit's end by the end of the day. So.
Totally. All right. Well, um, I want to wrap this up and make sure we keep it on time. Um, I do have a question for you, though. So uh, you can't recommend your, your own stuff as good as it is, uh, but what book or reading or media material right now would you recommend or do you find yourself recommending uh, to people the most? Oh, let's see. It really depends on the situation. All right. And I but, won't hold you to just one. If you've got a few you think might cover it, I'll, we can uh, do that. Yeah, let me think. Um, general, general recommendation. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely recommending James Clear's Atomic Habits right now. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's really nailed a simple, that's the key, is just like what you need to know about habits, not making it into like a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I reviewed a, I gave him feedback on a, on an early draft of that book. So I'm kind of proud of it. Um, but besides that, it really depends what you're looking for. You know, like, um, if you're looking at, I mean, I'll go out on a limb here. What I'm reading about right now is trauma. Um, from, from what angle? I'm curious. Like, yeah, there's a book called the body keeps the score that was recommended to me. It's by this Harvard, um, doctor who founded a trauma, one of the first trauma centers in like the seventies. Um, and he has decades of treating people with trauma. And it's fascinating because, uh, you know, as a teacher and a coach, um, and you're probably similar, like you pretty quickly deal with pretty deep things. You know, it's not just, okay, rearrange your pencils on your desk. It's like, who, who are you? What do you want? What do you care about? What are your boundaries? And um, that following that path has led me to, to kind of looking at trauma because I've just realized that often when people resist things, it's not like, oh, you need a better to-do list. It's like you're resisting, say, um, sitting down and focusing because as a kid, maybe you were punished for that or you lived in a household that was noisy and chaotic and you couldn't focus or, you know, there's something in your past that makes it, there's a pattern that's repeating itself. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I'm, I'm doing this reading, figuring out like, okay, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor, but how do I give people opportunities to sort of understand themselves better and resolve these, these challenges at a deeper level than just like force yourself to do something better, yeah. which I think has limited returns. So, I mean, I'll recommend that book, The Body Keeps the Score. It's pretty amazing. Outstanding. Yeah, and I think there's another benefit to this too, is reading things that are maybe not directly within the scope of whatever it is that you're, you know, either passionate about or the most, um, you know, focused on. And this, you know, finding tangential areas that or unrelated, um, like, you know, right now, I uh, was reading about Neuralink and Elon Musk, and they had a big announcement about what they've, the upgrades they've done, or I forget the details, um, just that they had a big announcement. I was like, you know, this is interesting. I have a science background, but I know very little about biology. I just want to read about that. There's no directly applicable way for this, but I know now that, you know, just learning about this is going to lead to something down the road, or it's just going to satisfy that itch, but in no way will it harm, and it'll probably help inform, you know, future decisions or conversations. Totally. Oh, yeah, the best uh, writing on productivity doesn't contain the word productivity. Yeah. The best, some of the best writing on habits doesn't contain the word habits, because it's like, what you're trying to do with reading is have a new perspective, and if the person is writing from that existing perspective, by definition, they're it's going to be hard for them to really step out of that framing. So I, oh yeah. And, and you know, this is part of my, my reason for being passionate about note-taking is you can only justify reading very, very widely if you're preserving this, you know, like if you read, um, 
you know, let's say you read all about biology, but then you save nothing, you preserve nothing, you store nothing. Maybe a few years from now, you have a project related to biology, but you're going to, you're basically going to have to reread all of that. You're not going to remember hardly anything. And so by, by, by having this way to preserve this knowledge that we're consuming, you can actually cast your net way wider because it's like a book you're reading could be useful a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. You're, you're really playing the long game of learning rather than just trying to keep what you can keep in your head. I'm, I, this should have come up when we were talking about building a second brain, but I'm glad it came up now and we still got a couple minutes. So I'm going to squeeze this in. This makes me think about long-term knowledge storage. So do you see, or I'm sure this has crossed your mind, how do you see like the information you find valuable? Could you see that somehow being stored in access by literally future generations or of being of use? Or do you figure that, you know, the day it's over for Tiago and, you know, you're buried or whatever, that, you know, that's it, that your knowledge is no longer useful? This is so funny. Someone on Twitter just asked me this this morning. <laughs> And my, so my perspective on this maybe is different. Um, so I really think of notes as disposable. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the purpose of notes is like a bridge. It's like a, it's like a, a bridge from consumption to creation. Um, and I see, you know, I'm, I'm kind of deep in this note-taking world and I see people like, you know, etching their notes onto like platinum hard disks and then burying them in the desert. Like there's every kind of crazy, you know, how, how do we save this for a thousand years, a million years, all this stuff. I think that's, that's pretty foolish. It's interesting as a thought experiment, but I think what's going to preserve, what's going to be preserved, what's going to stand the test of time is the outputs. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is what's so valuable about say a book, right? A book, what's so amazing about a book and the reason the book, books are never going to go away is it's the, it's maybe the one kind of knowledge that is completely self-contained, right? Like every, book is written or most, I guess mainstream books are written from the perspective that any human being with, you know, just basic general knowledge should be able to consume this from beginning to end and be able to make sense of what it means. Mm. And that's not really true of social media. It's not even really true of online articles, which usually assume pre-existing knowledge. Um, so I encourage people to make, you know, make music, make videos, write books, write articles, write plays, put on performances, like things that can be captured in some kind of crystallized form because our civilization knows how to carry those forward. Whereas we don't know how to carry notes forward. Every few years, we're changing the format, changing the storage medium, changing the device. I wouldn't put any faith in, in saving like notes for the long term. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I totally agree. And I know that's part of what you uh, talk about with progressive summarization. So I would say to anyone who uh, is listening to this and, and feels that resonating to check those articles out, um, definitely worth it. And I, it's uh, something I'd started doing on my own. And then that just gave me a little bit more clarity on it. So, um, well, I've got to wrap it up, but I would just want to say thanks, Tiago, for a great interview. Um, I know I've gotten a lot out of it, which is part of why I do these. I love talking uh, to interesting people who uh, like discussing this stuff. I know everyone listening has gotten a lot out of it. So um, before you take off, you know, where can people go to find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, I would just uh, thank you. Thank you, by the way, Adam, for having me on. This has been a great, really, really fun conversation. Um, but you can find everything about me on my website, which is Forte Labs, F-O-R-T-E-L-A-B-S uh, dot C-O, not dot com, dot C-O. 
And uh, that's kind of just the gateway to, to the books, to courses, to social media channels. Um, that's, that's the place to go. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Real World Productivity Podcast. If you know someone that would enjoy this episode, please grab the link and send it via email, message, or whatever means works best. Now, if you're looking for more ways to increase your productivity, time management, and team building skills, be sure to go to productivity.academy resources to find out what tools, cheat sheets, and services can get you started and make the most impact right now. For those who want to make fast changes and want to save dozens of hours, I highly recommend joining the 14-Day Productivity Foundation Challenge at productivity.academy slash foundation challenge. This 14-day challenge takes minutes per day, but will help you develop or improve your daily review to get more done with less distractions and loss of focus. You'll also get over-the-shoulder directions for setting up an automation to save dozens of hours and the process for deciding what else you should automate and how to do it. And if you're serious about continuous improvement and you know that productivity, time management, and team building will impact every area of your personal and professional life, join us in the Growth Automation Membership. Find out more at productivity.academy slash join.